Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. How will small businesses, like restaurants, weather this second COVID wave? We've talked about it on the show a few times now, but it's important to keep talking about it because we know small businesses contribute so much to our towns and cities, from employment and needed services to relationships and a sense of community. Today, where we live, we invited the man who leads Connecticut's agency that focuses on the state economy and ways to support different business sectors. David Lehman is the commissioner of the State Department of Economic and Community Development, also known as DECD. And if you're a small business owner, we want to hear from you. What do you want to hear and see from state officials to help you? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. As always, you can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Again, David Lehman joins us on Zoom, Commissioner of the Department of Economic and Community Development. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Thanks again for having me on. So I wanted to start with the restaurants because there's a lot of focus on uh, what's happening in our state. If you look at a map of COVID cases, literally our whole state is practically all red. Uh, we hear reporters and others asking the governor to close indoor dining. So what is your role in advising the governor about what to do as we see cases growing? Yeah, it's a great question. So first off, restaurants and really the, the whole hospitality industry is incredibly important. So restaurants alone uh, employ over 100,000 people in the state of Connecticut, and that's relative to a labor force of around 1.8 million. So really significant. And, and outside of the employment, they're part of our communities. They're part of our main street. Um, you know, I myself uh, continue to enjoy eating out on, on weekends and when I can during the week. So restaurants are really important, and we spend a lot of time, the, the governor's uh, senior team, talking to him about, uh, you know, not just restaurants, but all types of small businesses as we're trying to navigate the pandemic. And uh, the governor's goal has been and continues to be to, to continue to allow as much uh, economic activity to occur as we think is, is responsible and can be done safely. And there's been a, a lot of effort in the reopening process to ensure that eating, whether it's outdoors or indoors, that the protocols are there to be done safely. And we still believe that's the case to this day. Hmm. And so for restaurant owners who continue to have some sort of indoor dining, what are you hearing from them in terms of how their customers have dropped off and how they're able to even stay operational, Commissioner? Yeah, no, and, and here's where I, I think there is a difference between what is allowed and then the comfort level of, of some folks in the public. So, and the governor referenced some of this data, but I think it's important to repeat. Um, you know, I talked to the Restaurant Association on almost a daily basis, uh, and, and they recently shared some uh, reservation data through Open Table. And I think there's around 400 restaurants in Connecticut that utilize Open Table. But what it did is it compared reservations. Um, you know, in September of this year versus last year, October, and then November. And what you saw is September looked basically like last year in terms of reservation activity. October in 2020 was off, I think, close to 20% relative to 
2019. In November, it was off close to or even a little bit over 40%. So you have seen, even though restaurants have been allowed to operate uh, at 50% capacity, you have seen uh, less folks going to restaurants. Perhaps that's because of uh, increase in virus levels. Uh, perhaps that's because there was more comfort eating outdoors than indoors. We, we don't know exactly, but what the data is telling us is uh, less people are willing to, to go and eat out. Uh, we're hopeful and we encourage folks, if you previously ate out twice a week, Still, still, uh, you know, work with those restaurants and 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 solicit. Excuse me, uh, you know, be a customer of those restaurants through takeout or delivery options. So that's our, our recommendation to continue to, to to go to your favorite restaurant. Just do it uh, virtually if you need to, as opposed to going indoors. But if you feel comfortable eating indoors, you know, we think that's okay too. Hmm. So tell us more about eating indoors being okay because. The governor has said from the beginning, Commissioner Lehman, that the state's going to lead with science. And, you know, just in the other last week or so, we have doctors uh, in our state writing to the governor saying that with these these surges in COVID cases, that indoor dining and gyms should be closed. And so how do you address uh, what they're seeing in hospitals and uh, the fact that there have been, uh, it's been reported that there have been clusters of cases, uh, some have originated uh, in, in restaurants. And how do you address those concerns? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you're right, there's risk in everything these days. We, we know that we're still learning a lot about the virus. I think what's been challenging, whether it's through contact tracing data, as well as these larger studies, is really to determine, uh, you know, where, where the causality is in terms of viral transmission. You know, correlation is a lot easier to, uh, to understand. And a lot of the studies that have been done really go back to that March, April uh, period where whether we were in, in a lockdown or right before it, um, and, and a lot of, I guess, the, the point I want to make here is a lot of the mitigation measures that we have in place right now, like reduced capacity uh, and like the spacing in restaurants weren't in place. Now, all that said, Lucy, I, I you know, the, the intuitiveness of, of being indoors and then not having a mask on, you know, I, I believe that is higher risk than being indoors with a mask on, for example. But the, the spacing and the reduced capacity, we think, goes a long way. I think what you're seeing in, in the letter that was provided to the governor from doctors, um, you know, Activities that are, are viewed as higher risk or further down the risk spectrum, um, given the, the cases that were increasing, there was, um, you know, a, a message to, to think about shutting that down and slowing down activity uh, just to make sure that we continue to, to keep the virus at, at bay and that our healthcare system does not get overwhelmed. So when we think about the different businesses uh, that have been able to reopen this summer when cases were low, uh, bars have not been able to reopen. Uh, but again, uh, there are there's risks for being indoors, as you mentioned. But, you know, why is it not safe to have bars reopen, but you still have indoor dining and, and gyms uh, able to be, be open? Yeah, and this, and this gets back to the point I was making about the safeguards. So for, for restaurants, and, and as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I frequent many, many restaurants close to where I am, you have the ability to do the spacing and the reduced capacity. So in, in a typical bar where you're doing walk-up drink service or you're standing very proximate to other patrons, you, you don't have the ability to do the spacing. And being unmasked and not being able to do the spacing, uh, I do think that is higher risk. So that is why Connecticut is, has really not had bars open throughout um, you know, the, the COVID pandemic, but we have been comfortable with restaurant dining because of those key differences. And, and today we'll still allow seating service, seated service at, at bars for those that want to take their meal there, but stand up or walk up drink service and crowding around the bar. We, we do think that is too risky to occur. So that's the distinction. 
You're hearing David Lehman here on Where We Live. He is the State Commissioner of the Department of Economic and Community Development. As we focus on uh, what business owners are dealing with in the second wave of the pandemic, uh, we want to hear from you, especially if you are a business owner, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I wanted to bring into the conversation uh, Juliana Pizancio, and she is a co-owner of a restaurant in Old Saybrook, La Morea Restaurant. Uh, Juliana, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning, Lucy. Thank you for having me, Commissioner Layman. Thank you so much. Hi, Juliana. So you co-own the restaurant. You co-own the restaurant with your husband uh, Nino. So tell us uh, what it's been like uh, trying to serve customers, but also what we just talked about earlier about uh, customer confidence and the fact that a lot of uh, foot traffic is not happening these days. Absolutely, um, we've noticed in the past four weeks um, that customer confidence has been a little low. So it was really hard from going from summer where we had the outdoor dining opportunity, which we thank Governor Lamont and uh, Commissioner Lehman for helping us out um, to be able to do outdoor dining in parking lots and and our guidelines to make it safe. Um, That was a big help. But, you know, as, as the weather is changing and it's becoming colder, it's becoming harder and you know, the media has really ramped up on saying, you know, indoor dining is dangerous and and things of that nature. And so we've seen a, a real drop off in people coming in to eat. We still have one of our tents up. We did take one down because the cost for heating both tents in such a large area, it was hard to do, um, having to keep sides open for circulation. So we had to take one tent down. We still have one up. It's still, it's very cold, even if you have the proper heating. Um, you know, and I thank our customers who are wonderful that are really braving it, being creative, coming in with blankets and, you know, dressing warmly. We still do have people coming in to dine inside. Um, but although my restaurant is spacious. Even when we were able to go to the 75%, we stayed, still stayed at under 30% um, indoor dining because it's a spacing issue. So if you have to re- go by guidelines and keep the six or more feet between tables, you realistically can't ever get to that 75% unless you were to put plexiglass up, which is an extra expense, um, which was hard for us because we had, you know, the spring shutdown um, of this year was devastating. We're fine dining. So we had to revamp everything for curbside. It was, you know, scrambling (laughs) to figure out what to do, you know, having to spend money um, already in a slim period um, to provide for curbside, changing menus. I I literally had to lay off 20 employees um, in March. And, you know, our employees have been with us for four years since we've opened. Some have carried over from our previous restaurant. And that was the worst (laughs) And hardest decision because you know they're families that rely on you and so it was devastating and you know we had the opportunity this summer like I said to do the tents so that was an investment for us which was a hard investment to make because we were already working in a deficit from being shut down and doing mm-hmm. curbside so and so I now with the colder months coming up uh, Juliana how are you gonna keep opened and how many people are still with you on staff? Well, right now we're making the difficult decision of what to do um, because like I said, we've seen a drop off in indoor dining. So we do do curbside, 
But, you know, now we have to spend more money to, again, reinvent ourselves to what can help us sustain into the meager months. And what I'm saying is right now we're in early winter where we depended on Christmas parties Mm -hmm. to hold us through January to the beginning of April. We lost all of that. So now we have to figure out what can we do along with curbside to keep that interest. So we're going to do prepared foods, but, you know, it's an, it's more expense for us. We have to, you know, it's, we're not, we weren't equipped to do that. So now we have to spend the money to do that. We're selling, you know, our homemade product, you know, from the restaurant. We're trying to, I think most restaurants are doing that. They're trying to see how they can survive it because with the loss of revenue from the Christmas parties, which I understand, believe me, you know, I have children and family, elderly. I understand that, but our situation is was already kind of slim in normal operating times, January through April. Now that we've lost that, a lot of restaurants won't be opening their doors in the new year because you lose that revenue. And you have to realize we have to keep spending money to try to, you know, figure out a new way. And I have the difficult decision alongside with my husband of I can't keep my staff on for curbside. There's just not mm-hmm. enough for people to do. And they have families, you know, and I, this is our only income. I'm, you know, my husband and I own a restaurant, so it's not like I go to another job and have another, you know, paycheck from somewhere else. This is what we do for a living, you know. So it's hard. Juliana, can I can I ask you, Juliana, you know, before the pandemic, owning and operating a restaurants, one of the, the toughest jobs. And, you know, what kind of conversations are you having with your husband uh, come the new year? Do you hope that you can open your doors, continue to have them open? Well, uh, yeah, we continue to have that conversation. Um, it's very scary. We don't sleep at night. I mean, it's it's very stressful. This whole thing, you know, it's it's you have to constantly think of ways to survive. I, I have to say in our community, and you know, I know I have customers listening today, my husband and I are so grateful and our whole staff, we have customers who have been so amazing that have bought gift certificates. They say don't, they don't want to see us close. They'll do whatever it takes. I've had customers say, you know, if you need investors, <laughs> we'll, we'll help you out. We'll, 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 you know, see what we can do. And that is beautiful, but in the same time, it, it puts more stress because you're like, you know, I hope I survive. How would we pay them back? And, you know, these are real dilemmas that most of us are facing. And it's, it's very scary because this is mm-hmm. our livelihood. Let me bring the commissioner back into the conversation. Uh, Commissioner Lehman, uh, Juliana's story, probably very similar to others that you've heard uh, throughout these last few months. So what are you doing to help people like Juliana and her husband? Yeah, uh, for sure. So for, first off, Juliana, I appreciate uh, hearing all of that and understanding how you're adapting the prepared foods. And we, we realize, uh, you know, that impacts staff and that's different. But um, that type of innovation, I think, is great and really, really um, important to hear that. And then, uh, Lucy, I do want to underscore this point to all your listeners that, that go to restaurants like La Marea and others. Um, if they don't feel comfortable for whatever reason to go to, to do the indoor dining now, do the takeout, do the delivery. It, it's really important. I, that certainly impacts servers and, and, and others. But in terms of keeping these restaurants going, uh, I really want to encourage folks to continue to, uh, to go to your favorite restaurants, even if that doesn't mean to sit indoors. It's really critical. In, in terms of what the state's doing, um, you know, there's a number of things. The, 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 the primary thing that we're doing right now is a, a $50 million grant program using some of the CARES Act funding that came to Connecticut this spring. 
Uh, and that money we, we hope to have dispersed by the end of, well, we need to have it dispersed, I should say, by the end of December. But we're, we're hoping to provide $5,000 grants to um, up to 10,000 small businesses across the state. And we think a significant number of them will be restaurants. Um, so that, that's kind of the main program that we're doing right now. Previously, the state did a, um, a bridge loan program, a 0% interest bridge loan program earlier, which was just under 50 million. Uh, and then the state has been working or has worked with uh, restaurateurs and others at accessing some of the federal programs that have been out there, like PPP, as well as the uh, SBA uh, emergency loan. You know, we think the real critical thing right now, and, and the governor's mentioned this a couple times recently, is, you know, for the federal government to, to put forth this next tranche of, of aid. And I saw the news this morning. I'm hopeful that's moving forward, but it's, it's really critical for our small businesses, restaurants and beyond. You mentioned $5,000 grants to 10,000 small businesses. How many applied, uh, Commissioner? Yeah, we saw just, I think it was just over 19,000 businesses apply. So, you know, roughly 2x what we think we can fulfill. Uh, We're we're going through the eligibility requirements to make sure all of those uh, businesses that did apply are eligible. So we'll we'll have a better sense soon of of how many are truly eligible relative to that application number. But there is, you know, significant demand. I think there is roughly in the state, Lucy, of between 50 and 60,000 businesses that could have applied versus the just under 20 that did apply. And we have around 10,000, excuse me, 100,000 small businesses in the state of Connecticut to give you a sense of, uh, of numbers. Mm. Juliana, did you apply for this program and what will a $5,000 grant do for you? Uh, thanks, Lucy, for asking. We did apply for the, um, the grant money from CARES Act, but this is the thing, $5,000 covers probably a quarter of my payroll for one week. That's, you know, not enough. And PPP, uh, Commissioner Lehman, I know we, you know, we, we receive PPP, but this is a thing. The terms for PPP we had with the Connecticut Restaurant Association and National Restaurant Association, I know you're aware, you know, the terms were not working well for restaurants of what they put out there. And it was a very stressful time. And the other problem was there were a lot of businesses who received PPP that were doing well. And it, it, you know, still left a lot of independent businesses struggling. Also, you know, we've had 600 restaurants out of 8,500 in the state of Connecticut that have closed their doors forever. You know, that's huge. And also, I want to point out, which people forget, we, we, you know, generate a lot of revenue for the state of Connecticut. You know, we collect sales tax in our restaurants, you know, and that goes, we, we, we you know, give the money, the sales tax money to the state. And that's vital. You know, 8,500 restaurants, we're, we've lost 600. And we fear that by the beginning of the year, not just restaurants, but independent store owners are going to close their doors. $5,000 really doesn't do much. And we really need the federal government and the state government to really step up. You know, I want to steal a quote from, uh, you know, Tom Colicchio, Chef Tom Colicchio, who's on MSNBC, said, you know, this is, we're the fabric of, you know, the communities throughout the United States. We make a a difference. And it's a big ecosystem because once restaurants get uh, affected, it's not just us, our vendors, it's our, you know, our liquor reps, they, they lose their jobs. Um, you know, the linen guys are our suppliers for food, you know, the, the truck drivers. This is, this is a big problem because it just, it's not just concentrated on us. It's a trickle down effect. And that's very worrisome for mm. the coming new year. Commissioner Lehman, how do you respond? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything that was just said there. Um, I, I think restaurants and, and the, you know, up and down the, the chain, if you will, the, the linen comment, the, the servers, kind of what they're doing, um, it has a real impact to the economy. As I mentioned at the outset, you know, restaurants in Connecticut employ over 100,000 people. So that's a, a really meaningful part of our labor force and part of our economy and our community. Um, in this uh, rumored to be $900 billion plan that the federal government's working on now, I believe there will be just under $300 billion of uh, new PPP loans. I, I agree with the comment that was made. It, it, I'm hopeful that that will be directed in a more targeted and surgical way. So it goes to the businesses that need it the most, those that really aren't able to operate or aren't able to, uh, to make money and pay their employees because that's where it's needed. And then just last, last thing I mentioned at the state, um, at the state level, you know, as I, I mentioned at the outset, uh, Lucy, I, I continue to have conversations with the Restaurant Association, with restaurateurs themselves on a regular basis. And, and we continue to evaluate if there's stuff, if there's more that the state can do to help in terms of financial assistance. Um, so we continue to explore that. But, uh, you know, as, as, as your listeners know and everyone knows here, the, the state does not have the ability to run deficits like the federal government does. So we want to make sure that we're being responsible. But we certainly understand the, the impact that restaurants like La Marea have to you know, state sales tax and the like. So we're going to stay close and I'm, I'm hopeful we'll see some movement here in Washington. And if we can do any more in Hartford, we, uh, we certainly will. Mm-hmm. So, Commissioner Lehman, you said that you continue to evaluate uh, what more can be done in the state while you wait for the federal government to act. I understand that Senator Blumenthal uh, had met with leaders of the restaurant industry the other day, and they're calling on uh, Governor Lamont to use more of the CARES Act money uh, to help restaurants. Is that part of your discussions with OPM and the governor? Could there be something additional that you can provide the hospitality uh, sector before the end of the year? So, so again, we, we, we look at that, Lucy, but th- there's a lot of demands, competing demands for those dollars. Um, and I think the governor addressed this last night at his press conference. We, we need the federal government to do more. But with the dollars that we have, we, we are trying to figure out what is the, the right way to spend them on behalf of all of Connecticut's residents. So certainly that's part of the conversation. But, you know, very, very clearly, we and, all, and other 49 states need to see more from the federal government here in terms of small business relief. Juliana, before we let you go, you mentioned earlier that you've had to lay off 20 of your workers since March. What are they doing now? Well, um, we did have some come back for the summer, um, and not all of them came back. Some have found other jobs. Um, So, you know, it's like I said, it's hard because especially the servers, they rely on tips. And, um, you know, so it, it's, it's just hard. I mean, also, you know, they, they get great living wage where we really love our employees. So the thing is, is that, you know, this is, we're coming into the Christmas season and, you know, Nino and I have a hard decision to make of, do we just go curbside now and prepare foods, um, since people aren't coming to dine out. So, like I said, it's going to impact us again of making that hard decision of, you know, they're going to have to go collect unemployment because we won't have the capacity to keep them on. It's just not going to be something that we'll be able to do. And I think a lot of restaurants are making that very, very hard decision. And it it hurts. Hmm. That's Juliana Pizzancio, co-owner and operator of La Marea Restaurant in Old Saybrook. She uh, owns that with her husband, Nino. Juliana, thank you so much for for taking time to talk with us. And we hope that uh, the new year brings better news for you. 
Thank you so much, Lucy, for having me. And thank you, Commissioner Lehman. I appreciate it. Thank you. Juliana, thank you for everything you're doing. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Uh, Commissioner David Lehman will stay with us again. He leads the Department of Economic and Community Development. And we'll continue talking after the break. Do you have a question for the commissioner, especially if you're a business owner in our state? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel, broadcasting remotely. My guest today is David Lehman. He's Commissioner of the Department of Economic and Community Development, DECD. As we talk about how the state is working with businesses in this second COVID wave, if you're a business owner, we want to hear from you. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, we focused a lot on restaurants earlier, Commissioner Lehman, but this is also the holiday season when people are shopping. Uh, what are you hearing from retailers about foot traffic in their stores? And, uh, you know, again, how do you keep people safe while they're shopping? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I think this holiday season, uh, like, like everything else this year, is definitely looking and will look different than previous years. Uh, I think the initial read on foot traffic over, over the, the Black Friday and Small Business Saturday period was that foot traffic was down, uh, you know, upwards of, of 50% in certain areas, not just in Connecticut, but across the, the country, uh, as there's more folks feel comfortable buying from their couch or on their computer. Um, listen, there, there's never been a more important time uh, to support small business in the state of Connecticut, just given how challenging a year it has been. Uh, we certainly think that, that retail shopping can be done safely uh, on Main Street in particular, going into to small stores and, and making sure that you're doing some business there. So we, we want to continue to encourage that. Uh, the retail experience, especially with the distancing, the mask wearing, the plexiglass that you see up, we think it is safe and, and we really want to encourage folks to get out and, and do their shopping and do it local, do it small. Two things I would just mention here too, you know, the state on the state's um, main website for tourism and other activities, ctvisit.com, uh, there's lots of ideas really all, all across the state, not just on places to go, restaurants to go, but gift ideas uh, and places where you can shop. Uh, and many of them have online and or delivery options, but we encourage folks that want to shop small and shop local to go to ctvisit.com. And, you know, we've seen our towns really step up here as well. I was talking to, to Mike Piscatelli in New Haven and New Haven's put together uh, Together New Haven and that's on, online as well, togethernewhaven.com. And I think they have over a hundred merchants that are part of that where you can effectively shop local, but you can do it from your house if that's how you prefer. I'm glad that you brought up New Haven. We talked to Mayor Elliker a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he has wanted uh, the state to take a, you know, a stronger measures, including closing indoor dining as a case has spike in our state. And so I guess just to piggyback on something earlier, uh, when we think about indoor dining, is there a metric that you are looking at, that the governor is looking at, that you would indeed close indoor dining uh, in this next month? 
I, th- I, I think as the governor has said, Lucy, you know, the, the metric that we spend the most time on now is hospitalizations and, and really just capacity. And it's not just bed capacity, but it's it's staff capacity, making sure there's adequate staff to take care of COVID patients and beyond and that there's not burnout. Uh, so that is the metric. Is there is there a bright line there? Uh, not, not that I'm aware of, but we spend a lot of time thinking about that. The, the, the important thing with hospitalizations, though, is we, we realize it's a lagging indicator. So we need to look at cases. We need to look at positivity to get a, a sense of where we think hospitalizations are going. Um, and again, this is not just in Connecticut, but we've seen this across the country. And then the other thing we need to factor into that is making sure the measures that we do put in place are, are truly effective at uh, mitigating spread. We don't want to stop indoor dining, for example, for all of a sudden, what was that indoor dining to go to a, a dinner party at someone's house where you have the same spread, but you're hurting the economy. So those are the types of conversations and uh, you know the cost first benefit analysis that we have. Uh, going back to retailers, at the same time, uh, the governor announced that uh, businesses could be fined up to $10,000 for COVID violations. How many complaints are you getting? I know there is a, a form that people can access. Uh, I believe you've been part of uh, uh, that uh, delivery of, of a way for people to let you know, and then you talk to municipalities or your staff. What kinds of businesses are violating these safety measures? So we, since May 20th, um, you know, we, we at the state level have gotten between three and, and 500 complaints in the online form per week. Um, you know, that, isn't, that doesn't give you uh, an indication of the entire picture across the state. For example, if um, someone in, in town called their local police to, to look into a potential violation of COVID rules, that would not be reported. So what we've seen at the state level is three to 500. The, the number is largely bigger than that. Uh, but for the most part, we've seen really good compliance. Um, and, and, and when we've seen non-compliance, uh, you know, we've tried to, to, to make sure it's out there to let folks know in the business community and those are that are customers that that's just not allowed and it's not permissible. And, and we're really focused on making sure that the, the bad actors don't hurt the good actors. So going back to the restaurant example, restaurants that really embrace the protocols, we think that's safe and we want them to remain open. But a restaurant that becomes a bar and is having a, a crowded, non-socially distance uh, event well over the capacity limits, you know, we absolutely don't want to see that. So that the, the $10,000 fines, our hope candidly is that, that, that you don't see many of them given out, that you have great compliance, but we're, we really want to make sure that the compliance is embraced. And again, the good actors can continue to operate. You say that you're getting three to 500 complaints a week? That's correct. And so where are these complaints stemming from? What types of businesses are uh, people in the state concerned about whether social distancing isn't being followed, if masks are not being worn? Yeah, so let me take the second part of that first. So typically the complaints are largely uh, masks not enforced, distancing not followed, or something else around the protocols, uh, not surprisingly. Uh, in terms of the types of businesses, it, it really is indicative of all the businesses in the state of Connecticut. So it's grocery stores, it's restaurants, it's retail shops, it's gas stations. Um, you know, there has not been what I would say a discernible uh, you know, trend towards one type of business versus the other. What we see are places like grocery stores, for example, or restaurants, some of the bigger parts of our economy where people are going, they tend to get more of the of the complaints. But I think that's indicative of, again, how often people frequent them as opposed to um, you know, grocery stores themselves are, uh, there, there's a unique or discrete issue there. But that said, uh, you know, I, I talked to the grocers last week and we really want to make sure capacities enforce the distancing, the one-way aisles that we've seen. So we're, we're making sure that we continue the dialogue with these folks, but we've seen really uh, the complaints have come across the state since May. Uh, and we mostly focused on the, the mask wearing as well as the distancing not being followed.
Mm. So these uh, the potential for a ten thousand uh, dollar violation or fine uh, for businesses that have violated uh, these were these guidelines. Has the state given any of those out? I'm not aware of it to date. There could be a lag in it getting to uh, to, to me or others, but I'm not aware of a ten thousand dollar fine being given out to date. Mm. And for those fines, Lucy, we're we're really focused on on capacity and gathering sizes in particular, as opposed to to some of the the. Um, other stuff in the uh, reopening protocols, really making sure that we're, we're focusing on the gathering sizes and capacity. And uh, when you communicate with municipalities, so it's left to them to enforce if, they, if there is a complaint in their town or city. So what does that look like? And are they happy with this uh, ability <laughs> to go after a potential bad actor in their community? What are you hearing? Yeah, so listen, everyone is, is stretched, uh, local police, local health departments. So, you know, there is a regular dialogue uh, DCD, DPH have with uh, municipalities and municipal leaders. Uh, and, and I think similar to what you've heard from, from the governor and the administration, the, the, we don't want to give any of these fines out. And I, I think at the local level, it's, it maybe is even more so, especially in smaller communities where you know that retail shop owner, you know that restaurant owner. Um, but at the same time, we need to make sure that to keep the economy open, we need, we need that compliance. So I, I think there, there's, there was definitely a, a preference to have the tools, but I think no one really wants to use the tools. We just want compliance with the, uh, the rules that we have to keep everyone safe and keep our economy open. You're hearing David Lehman here on Where We Live, Commissioner of the State Department of Economic and Community Development. He's on for just a few more minutes. If you have a question, especially if you're a small business owner, uh, the number 888-720-WMPR. That's 888-720-9677. We were just talking about the ability for residents uh, to file complaints against uh, any kind of business they see not following uh, COVID guidelines for safety. Um, is this something that you have experienced in your community? Again, you can join us, 888 888- Seven two zero nine six seven seven, and so how how do uh, Connecticut residents uh, find uh, this uh, online form uh, if they do see a problem where they live? Yeah, so you can you can either call two one one, and and they will they will direct you to the form, or if you just uh, Google, um, well you can get it off CT. Uh, .gov forward slash coronavirus to take you there, or you can just Google uh, Connecticut COVID complaint, and it should take you right to the uh, the site. I think it's important to talk about other sectors that the state uh, supports that are economic engines, including uh, the arts. Uh, but before we get there, uh, Commissioner, you know, we've been spending a lot of time on what the state can do, what kind of uh, financial assistance at this present moment to help uh, restaurants and others. And your hands are tied, as you say, because there's only so much money until the federal government, uh, the, until Congress authorizes, uh, hopefully, this uh, second uh, spending bill uh, to help uh, small businesses businesses and others. But I'm just wondering when you look ahead to whenever this pandemic is over, and we hope it's over sometime in 2021, is there an emphasis on how the department and how the state can help some of these business reopen, uh, whether it's low interest loans or thinking about it more long term than where we are now? Absolutely. Uh, and we're looking forward to the, the legislative session that's going to start here in January, because um, making sure that we have the right uh, incentives and tools in the toolbox to uh, incentivize job creation 
uh, to incentivize investment in the state. Uh, on the lending front, as you mentioned, Lucy, you know, my, my view right now is it, it still is a very competitive market from the private sector. So it's not clear the state needs to play a very big role there. But if we need to, to reduce the risk, for example, to make sure those loans are more affordable or the right sizes, uh, you know, the state is looking at revamping the small business lending program. And then the last thing I'd say is we're taking a really hard look, especially at our, uh, you know, what, what our largest communities, our cities where you've seen uh, higher unemployment, you've traditionally had higher poverty, uh, making sure that the job creation is there, that the capital and, and the discrete resources that the state does have, that we're focusing on the areas that need it the most. I think that's going to be really crucial for us to make sure that we have a, an equitable recovery across the state. Um, the last thing I would just mention, which I think is important here, which is a, a ray of sun perhaps, but you've seen significant migration into the state of Connecticut this year, uh, you know, from New York uh, in particular, and that's gotten the most press, but we've seen it from Massachusetts as well. We've seen it from New Jersey and, and even states as far away as California uh, and Washington state. So we're parsing the data right now, but a, a really significant uh, amount of people have moved or changed their address to Connecticut. You're seeing that in the housing activity, you're seeing it in new housing starts across the state, uh, as well as prices. Uh, and I know prices going up isn't always a good thing unless you, you own a home, uh, but that really is a, a nice tailwind that I think should help our economy, especially if you have more of a, a work from home or hybrid type economy going forward. I think Connecticut's really well suited to benefit from that. Mm. And what are you doing to support the arts community in our state, Commissioner? Yeah, so on the arts front, um, you know, we created with the, the CARES Act, the Coronavirus Relief Funds, a $9 million program really focused at performing arts in particular. And, and the reason we, we really targeted that group is that that was the one area of the economy that really just wasn't able to open at all this year, uh, even at a even at a reduced capacity. They were, they were able to open a bit uh, as of October 8th, but then that quickly changed with the, the increase in cases. So that, that $9 million, it was just uh, distributed, actually, or we're in the process of distributing, I should say, but roughly 154 different arts organizations around the state uh, are going to get that $9 million. And one of the great things about this program is uh, these organizations raised, I think, uh, over $36 million from private donors and others as well alongside that state money. So it truly is a, a public-private partnership, but it, it was really great to, to help support them as they try to navigate this crisis, too. So it sounds like another Band-Aid while uh, the, everyone waits for the federal government uh, to provide more assistance, Commissioner. Okay. Well, tw either that or you know, tw 2021 uh, cannot come soon enough, I know, for, for everyone here. So wh whether it's more federal assistance or you know, hopefully next spring we are on, on the flip side of this as, as folks get vaccinated and we can return to, to life, not, not as we knew it per se, because it's going to take a while, but life that looks a little bit closer to what we do. Uh, before we let you go, Commissioner, you know, part of your job, uh, you know, you're the governor's senior economic advisor, you just mentioned uh, new residents moving into our state, but a lot of what DECD uh, works to do is to attract new businesses. And so what does that look like in the pandemic? Uh, it's been interesting. I mean, I think what you've seen, um, especially for the larger businesses, is there's been so much uncertainty out there. Uh, many of their decisions have been on hold. Um, you've seen the, the migration I mentioned. You have seen some smaller businesses, and you're starting to see this pick up, up meaningfully, that are thinking about where do they want to locate? Do, do they want to be in midtown Manhattan? Or is a place like Stamford or New Haven or Hartford more, more likely for them? So I would expect to see a real acceleration here as you get more certainty um, as, as the community gets vaccinated and as we 
hopefully leave this pandemic on the business front. But we, we have seen from, in particular, smaller businesses that were uh, New York based or New York focused, where many of the, the residents were in Fairfield County, for example, uh, many of them have started to relocate. And I think that's been, been a positive, but I think you'll see a pretty big increase in this as you get into 2021. And when you look to 2021, what do you think will be the priority of DECD? Uh, you mentioned cities earlier and you think about uh, the, the damage when there are empty storefronts and shells left inside once vibrant places. Uh, Trumbull Kitchen, um, which is a mainstay in downtown Hartford, saying that they're going to close and definitely uh, hopefully opening in the spring. I mean, these are all warning signs of what uh, the future looks like uh, when uh, every Everyone needs help, and there's just not enough to go around, Commissioner. Yeah, listen, city, cities are, are will continue to be crucially important over the medium to long term, and, and in the short term, the vibrancy you just mentioned, Trumbull Kitchen, absolutely. Um, I, I think what is challenging here is. Uh, everything is so interrelated. So we need people to be comfortable going back to the office so they can go to Trumbull Kitchen or they can go to the local deli to get their, their, their coffee. Um, and, and it feels like that is still going to take a, 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 some time and some confidence. But I think making sure that we continue to invest in our cities, Lucy, in particular, uh, encouraging more residential uh, and more walkable zones in our downtowns like Hartford, I think that's going to be crucial because um, the more you have resident residential there, that's going to drive all the other ancillary businesses and part of that broader ecosystem. That's David Lehman, Commissioner of the State Department of Economic and Community Development, known as DECD. Commissioner, thank you for your time. Lucy, thanks for having me on. Have a great weekend. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to talk to another business owner on the eastern side of our state. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We just heard from David Lehman, the Commissioner of the State Department of Economic and Community Development. But we wanted to hear another perspective from a business owner in our state. Joining us now on the phone, Dan Miser, founder and owner of the 85th Day Food Community. This is a restaurant group in Mystic, Connecticut. He's board chair for the Connecticut Restaurant Association and was also on the Reopen Connecticut Committee representing restaurants. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lucy. Pleasure to be here. Now, your roots in the food industry run deep. I just mentioned Trumbull Kitchen, where you used to work. Uh, that's closing until the spring. You also helped start Firebox in Hartford's Frog Hollow neighborhood. That closed after 13 years this past summer. These are just two restaurants uh, that have had to experience, uh, that are experiencing the, uh, the pandemic and have had to close or close uh, temporarily. I mean, how do you feel when you see this happening around you? It's it's devastating. You know, we 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 saw um, you know this summer as we opened up um, outdoor dining in in May and then indoor dining you know, on June seventeenth. We we saw a, a little bit of hope and we saw a, an opportunity for folks to get um, back into a little sense of normalcy and recoup a little bit of those dollars that that were were taken away this spring. But the whole time we knew that winter was coming and we knew that the writing was on the wall and we knew that, that the amount of restaurants that were going to be made, able to make it uh, for the long haul, um, that that was going to change. And, and as we sit here right now, you know, we're, we're at a point where over 600, 600 restaurants 
have closed in the state of Connecticut already. And as you heard from Juliana earlier, um, and as you just mentioned, you know, Trumbull Kitchen and other restaurants around the state, that number is going to spike dramatically if we don't see immediate action on the state and federal level. Uh, I mean, I appreciate uh, the commissioner. He and I and, and other folks at the Restaurant Association and um, folks in the administration have worked tirelessly throughout this whole process to really try to find solutions. But we are at um, what is quite possibly, you know, the most critical moment uh, for small business, but in particular restaurants and hospitality in the state of Connecticut and nationally. So when we think about uh, your restaurant group, again, 85th Day Food Community, uh, what's it looking like in terms of your waitstaff, your budgets, and, and how you're going to make it through this winter? Sure. I mean, we, we have four restaurants down here that, that kind of represent the full spectrum of, of what uh, the different styles of restaurants. Uh, two of our, our restaurants, Grass and Bone and Nana's, are, are geared towards takeout, uh, to-go, um, and also have market components to them. You know, those restaurants have been able to weather this storm, and, and we predict that we will be able to keep those restaurants open, um, you know, through, through the winter and into the spring. Um, the flip side of that is Oyster Club and Engine Room, uh, which are our two largest restaurants that, that have probably the, uh, the most notoriety. People uh, from around the state and the region come to Mystic to enjoy those restaurants. They're more traditional sit-down restaurants. Those are the spots that are being devastated right now. You know, as, as the commissioner mentioned earlier, there, there's two parts to this. There's, there's government mandate and, you know, going from 75% to 50% or potentially closing indoor dining. But there's also the consumer confidence piece. And quite frankly, you know, if, if guests aren't coming in to restaurants to dine, um, myself and restaurateurs across the state are left with the hard decision. Do you continue to bleed out? Do you try to uh, hold it together and make it to the light at the end of the tunnel? Um, or do you hunker down? Do you make the, the terribly hard decision like Trumbull Kitchen made, which was to, you know, in order to preserve the very institution um, in its longevity, you have to make hard decisions now and, and lay off, you know, your staff, which, which are family, which are single mothers, which are, are folks, um, you know, that, that have rents to pay and bills to pay and families to support. So, so there, there are no good options right now. Um, you know, what is needed without question um, is help. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear that uh, in D.C. They're, they're closer um, to a federal stimulus package, a second federal stimulus package. Um, but in the meantime, specifically, um, we, are, we are imploring uh, Governor Lamont and the state to, to help us figure out a way through a bridge loan program or a bridge grant program, rather, a bridge grant program to get us through the next few months. When you mentioned the bridge grant program, so what does that mean exactly uh, for uh, restaurants? Uh, how much money uh, would that uh, mean for to keep a restaurant uh, in operation? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, the commissioner mentioned the $50 million program that, that Connecticut um, did uh, implement a few weeks back, uh, you know, up to $5,000 grants for, for 10,000 businesses statewide. And, and while that is, is a great first step, um, you know, as you heard uh, Juliana say, that, that covered, I think she said, about a quarter 
uh, or half of one week's payroll. Um, what we're looking for specifically is, is what some other states have done. You know, our neighbors in Rhode Island um, have a $50 million restaurant and hospitality-specific grant program that they just established um, a few weeks ago. Maryland, uh, $50 million specifically for restaurants. New Jersey, $35 million specifically for restaurants. Ohio, $40 million specifically for restaurants. And the reason this is important is because while there are, are lots of businesses that, that represent, um, you know, a, a state's full economy, um, restaurants um, are, are unique in that we do not have the luxury or the ability to, to work from home. And, and if we go to online delivery and, and pick up and, and to go, um, that's an option, but it's a bad option because it means that our wait staff and most of our team gets laid off right before Christmas. And that is the, the decision that so many of us in this industry are grappling with this moment. You mentioned consumer confidence. We just have a couple of minutes left, uh, Dan. But do you think the state's message from the governor and others has been consistent in terms of how to support restaurants? Look, I mean, I, I am, am very appreciative of, of Governor Lamont's consistent messaging um, that that and we heard it today from from the commissioner as well that that they are comfortable um, with restaurants being open in their current capacity that they um, do not uh, see restaurants as a source of spread in as long as folks are are adhering to the protocol you know for us the proof is in the pudding you know Connecticut restaurants opened up indoor dining on June 17th and we went four months of, of late spring into the early fall with Connecticut having less than 1% positivity and less than 100% hospitalization. So quite frankly, the data is not there to suggest that indoor dining is the cause of, of the surge that we're seeing. So uh, while we appreciate the governor and the commissioner um, you know, standing by that information and encouraging folks to come out and support restaurants when they are comfortable going in um, and, and certainly through to-go and delivery and those items like that, um, you know, we, we need to figure out a way because, like I said before, there there is no good option right now. If you turn on the TV... Dan Miser, um, uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Dan Miser, founder and owner of the 85th Day Food Community that's in Mystic, Connecticut. Dan, thanks.